أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم صلى الله وسلم عليك يا سيدي ويا مولاي يا رسول الله صلى الله وسلم عليك يا سيدي ويا مولاي يا أبا عبد الله يا غريب يا مظلوم كربلاء يا ليتنا كنا معكم سادتي فنفوز فوزا عظيما قال الله تعالى في محكم كتابه الكريم أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وإني لغفار لمن تاب وآمن وعمل صالحا ثم اهتدى God states in the Holy Quran بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم And surely I am most forgiving to the one who repents and believes and works righteousness and thereafter is rightly guided آمنا بالله صدق الله العلي العظيم let us begin by enlivening our hearts and our minds and our gatherings with the salutations upon the Holy Prophet and his purified progeny. Sallu ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali One of the greatest attributes of God is his mercy and his compassion. God says in the Quran, كَتَبَ رَبُّكُمْ عَلَىٰ نَفْسِهِ الرَّحْمَةِ That your Lord has obligated upon himself to be merciful and to express compassion. In another verse, God says, وَرَحْمَتِي وَسِعَتْ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ God says, my mercy encompasses everything. God's mercy, God's compassion, God's rahma is all-encompassing. It encompasses everything. Nothing is excluded. Nothing falls outside the scope of God's mercy and compassion. And one manifestation of God's mercy upon us is that God has kept the doors of repentance and forgiveness open. God encourages us to repent. God encourages us to seek forgiveness. God says, Very beautiful way that God encourages us to seek forgiveness. God says, Race. Race towards your Lord's forgiveness and your, mercy, your Lord's mercy. Now, despite knowing about God's mercy and compassion and that it is all-encompassing, sometimes we find that there are some who don't seek forgiveness. They don't repent for one reason or another. Some people might not seek God's forgiveness 
because they think that they don't need God's forgiveness. They believe that they have lived their life purely. They haven't made any mistakes. They haven't done any wrong, so they don't need to seek forgiveness. Some people know, they realize that they've done, done wrong, but they might not seek forgiveness because they feel a sense of despair. They feel that they've done so much wrong that there is no point in seeking forgiveness. Because God will not forgive me. How can I repent? My record is so long and so big that God is not going to forgive my sins. Some people feel a state of despair. Or they find themselves that they're, they can't move on from their mistakes because they're stuck in the past. They're always recalling and they're always remembering their setbacks and their failures all the time. I read once about two friends who had gathered together. They were having a conversation one night. And one of them, he told the other, he said, you know, last night, my wife and I, we had a huge argument. It was really bad. Got into an argument and we started to yell at one another. We started to curse at one another. It got really, really bad. My wife got really angry. It got so bad, she got historical. His friend told him, you mean your wife got hysterical? He said, no, no, she got historical. She reminded me of all the bad things that I've ever done. Sometimes we find ourselves stuck in the past all the time, remembering our failures, remembering our setbacks, and this pushes us away. This discourages us from seeking forgiveness, from asking God to forgive us, from seeking repentance. Shaitan, dear friends, he has two tactics when it comes to dealing, dealing with humans and our errors. One tactic is that he encourages us to always forget the wrong that we do. To forget about it. To ignore it. Tells us, yeah, you've done wrong, you've deceived, you've cheated, you've lied. Forget about it. Don't worry about it. It's the past. Move on. Sometimes we find ourselves in that situation. We've done wrong, but we quickly forget about the wrong that we've done. We quickly move on about it. We forget about it. It's in the past. The other tactic that shaitan uses is that he makes us always remember our wrongdoings. And this causes some of us to fall in a state of despair. Every time I stand to seek forgiveness, I remember, oh, look at my record. All of the wrong things that I did in my past. And this causes a sense of despair. We begin to feel that we've sinned away all of our chances. How is God going to forgive me with this long record of wrong that I've done? And this is one of the worst situations to be in. God commands the prophet. He tells him, Qul. Say, Ya Rasulullah, قُلْ يَا عِبَادِيَ الَّذِينَ أَسْرَفُوا عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ لَا تَقْنَطُوا مِنْ رَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ Tell them, Ya Rasulullah, O oh my servants who have done excessive wrong, أَسْرَفُوا عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ Israf. Israf is what? Israf is when you go above and beyond. It's excessive. 
It's when you exaggerate, right? The Quran tells us when it comes to our moderate, our food, our consumption, God says, eat and drink, but do not do what? Wala tusrifu. Do not exaggerate. Do not go overboard. Here in this verse, God tells his servants, us, O oh, my servants who have done an excessive amount of wrongdoing. Do not despair in God's mercy. Don't surrender. Don't feel that God's mercy will not encompass you. God forgives all sins. Everything falls within the scope of God's mercy, of God's compassion, of God's forgiveness. God gives us many chances to seek forgiveness. The verse that I began with from chapter 20, Surah Taha, verse 82, God says, وَإِنِّي لَغَفَّارِ I am most forgiving, I am oft forgiving. What's the difference between two attributes that appear in the Quran? Sometimes God says, غفور, he refers to him as غفور, and sometimes he refers to himself as غفار. What's the difference? The difference is that غفور is a general forgiving. It's a general kind of forgiveness. Whereas غفار, there's an emphasis. It means it is re repeated forgiveness. That God continues to give us chances and continues to forgive us over and over and over again. God says, I am غفار. And God not only gives us many chances, but God is the best of forgivers. Sometimes you might have a close friend or a relative or a family member, right? You do wrong towards them, and then you ask them for forgiveness, and they forgive you. And then maybe a second time you do wrong, and you apologize, and they forgive you. And maybe a third time they forgive you, but then there's a limit, huh? Tell you how many times do you say sorry to me? You keep doing wrong and you say sorry and you keep expecting me to forgive you. There's a limit. Whereas with God, that limit is not easily there. God says, I will keep forgiving you over and over and over and over again. And God is the best of forgivers. God's mercy is so great that sometimes God forgives us and God not only forgives us, but even hides our sins and misdeeds. We read in the dua, Alhamdulillah alladhi yujibuni hina unadih wa yasturu alayya kulla awratin wa ana a'si. Such a beautiful phrase. Praise be to my Lord, who not only forgives me when I ask for forgiveness, but he also covers up my faults. During the time of Prophet Musa, Moses, peace be upon him. May God's peace and blessings be upon him and upon our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wasallam. During his time, the tradition says that his community, they faced a drought. They did not have rain. And this negatively impacted them, the whole community. And so 
they decided as a community that they would go out into the desert and they would implore God all together, men, women, young, old, they would all go together out into the desert and they would pray to God that God descends his rahmah upon them and brings down rain so that they can end their misery through this drought. So the whole community got together along with Prophet Musa salam. They went out in the, into the desert and they began to pray to God. O oh, our Lord, descend your blessings and your rahmah, your compassion upon us, bring rain upon us. They continued to implore God, pray to God, but nothing happened. So some of the community members, they turned to Prophet Musa, they said, Ya Musa, ask God, turn to God and ask him, why is, not, why is he not bringing down his mercy upon us? We're all here, we're all praying, young, old, men, women. So Musa asks God, he raises his hands, he says, my Lord, the community is asking, why is it that you are not bringing down rain upon us? The reply came from God. God said that in this crowd of people who have gathered, there is one man among them who has spent his entire life 40 years doing sin. He has not done a single good thing. He's among this crowd. And as long as he remains in this crowd, I will halt my blessings from coming down. Musa turns to his community. He tells them this is what God says. God says there is a man amongst us who his entire life he has lived in indecency and wrong and sin. And as long as he remains, God's mercy will not descend upon us. The man was standing in the crowd and he heard this. And he suddenly realized the dilemma that he was in. What does he do? If he gets up and he walks out of the crowd, everyone will know that God is talking about him. He will have exposed himself. But if he stays and he doesn't say anything, then what happens? Then the rain will not come down. God's mercy will not come down. So at that moment, he turned wholeheartedly to God and he said, my Lord and my master. I've lived my entire life in sin, but I seek your compassion and your mercy. I want you to forgive me. You are the most forgiving and the most compassionate. He said this in his heart silently. The tradition says that within moments, the clouds, they gathered in the sky and the rain came down. Musa alayhi salam, he was shocked because he was looking at the crowd and no one moved, no one left the crowd, no one made any movement, any sound. But suddenly the rain came down. So he turned to his Lord and he said, my Lord, what happened? Just moments ago, you had blocked your mercy from coming and now it's raining. What is happening? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he replied to Musa, he said, Musa, my mercy came down because of the same man who I had blocked my mercy because of him. He asked for forgiveness and thus I for forgave him and I brought down my mercy upon him. Musa was shocked, he was fascinated. He replied to God, he said, my Lord, what a great man this is that he sought your forgiveness 
And because of him, you brought down our mercy. This is the Prophet. The Prophet of God is saying this to Allah. So my Lord, identify him for me. Tell him who he is. Tell me who he is. I want to get to know him. I want to be his close friend. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he replied to him. He said, Ya Musa, for 40 years this man did wrong and I did not expose him. You think now that he has asked for forgiveness that I'm going to expose him? I'm going to tell you who he is? God is the best of forgivers. God is the most merciful and the most com compassionate and the most kind. And thus, it's important for us to seek God's forgiveness. It's important for us to repent. God says, God loves those who repent. If you are a tawab, that means you've done wrong. And now you are seeking forgiveness. God says, I love you when you seek forgiveness. I love those who repent. I love those who seek forgiveness. Why? Because God is much more interested in our present and our future than our past. And if we are committed to seeking God's forgiveness and repenting to God, if we have a true commitment for this, and we are ready for a fresh start, then God will give us a fresh start. God is merciful, God is compassionate, but it is incumbent upon me to enter into the gates of God's mercy and compassion, to seek forgiveness. And this is why in this verse, God gives us several conditions. Verse 82 from chapter 20, Surah Taha, God says, Inni laghaffar, I am most forgiving and then he gives several conditions what are the conditions of seeking God's mercy and forgiveness number one he says Limantab. for the one who asks for forgiveness I have to ask for forgiveness if I've done something wrong I have to turn to God and I have to own up many of us unfortunately it's much easier for us to play victim than it is to admit that we have done wrong. We don't like to admit that we've done wrong. Usually, if someone has done something wrong to us, we make a big fuss about it. Oh, so-and-so said something bad about me. So-and-so deceived me. So-and-so cheated me. So-and-so slandered me. We like to play the victim card, right? We don't forget. When we are the victims, we don't forget. But when we do wrong, most of us, it's very difficult for us to admit that we've done something wrong. But this is the first step. If I've done wrong, the first step is for me to admit that I've done something wrong. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us, has fashioned ourselves with what is known as an nafsul lawama. An nafsul lawama is what? Is that part of our soul that reproaches us. Have you seen sometimes when you do something wrong and then you feel a sense of remorse and regret? Why did I say this? Why did I do this? We've all probably had that feeling, right? What is that? That's our reproaching self telling me, hey, 
what you did was wrong. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done that. But the first step is for us to admit that we've done wrong, to realize that I've done wrong, to own up to my mistakes. We have to own up. We have to ask God for forgiveness. If we've hurt others, we go and we ask them for forgiveness. It was easy for me to talk behind their back, huh? I was laughing and I was enjoying myself and spreading, you know, talking about them behind their back, enjoying. It was very peaceful. It was very fun. Now, what do I have to do? I have to get the courage to go to them and say, hey, listen, I apologize. I said something bad about you. I want your forgiveness. I apologize to you. I'm sorry. Own up. Own up to your mistakes. Admit that you've done wrong. Express your sorry. Express your desire to seek forgiveness. This is number one. We have to ask for forgiveness. We have to be able to admit our transgressions. We turn to Allah and we say, my Lord, I've done this and I've done that. I've done all these wrong things and I seek your forgiveness. Astaghfirullah Rabbi wa atubu Seek istighfar. Make it a daily habit to ask God for forgiveness. So step number one is that I acknowledge my fault, my wrongdoing, and I ask for forgiveness. I actually express my sorrow to God and I ask for forgiveness. This is number one. So God says, Wa inni Liman Taba, the one who asks for forgiveness. Number two, Wa'amila Salihan. Wa'amana, I'm sorry. Number two, Wa'amana. Liman Taba Wa'amana, the one who has faith, who expresses belief. This is what is important for us as believers, brothers and sisters. The Quran constantly pushes us, it, it encourages us to develop our faith and our belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does faith do? What does belief do? Belief is the road map for us in our life. When you want to get from point A to point B, if you're not familiar with the area, what do you do? You use a map. Use a map so you don't get lost. In our journey of life, what is our map? What is our road map? What is our blueprint? It is our faith and belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It gives us direction so that we are not lost, so that we don't wander in this world mindlessly. It gives us direction. It gives us purpose. That we have faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We establish faith. God says, الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَتَطْمَئِنُّ قُلُوبُهُمْ بِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ Having sincere faith in God does what? It gives peace to our hearts and our minds. It gives us a sense of hope. It gives us a sense of direction. It gives us peace. And so it's important for us to develop our faith and our belief, strong belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As I mentioned a few nights ago, those who came before us who were tested with all sorts of tests, what kept them standing was their faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It was their strong belief in God Almighty. 
And it's not easy, dear friends. It's not easy to develop faith and especially dependence on God. That we depend in all of our affairs, we depend on God Almighty. It's not easy. It's difficult. It has to be developed. It has to be nourished. It has to be nurtured. It doesn't happen overnight. There are many great examples of those who had faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Dependence on Allah. Take the example of Musa's mother. We all know the story that during the time of Fir'aun, he sees a dream that a young man comes and puts an end to his kingdom. He asks his advisors, what do his advisors say? They say that you should go and you should kill all of the newborn boys. And so Fir'aun, he sends his troops, his armies, and they go and they follow. They see who in the community, which woman is pregnant, and they monitor her. When she gives birth, if she gives birth to a baby boy, they take that baby boy and they immediately slaughter him. Why? Because they were afraid that a man will grow up and he will put an end to Pharaoh's kingdom. But they have plans and Allah has plans. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he inspires in the heart of Musa's mother. He inspires in her heart. What does he tell her to do? He tells her after she gives birth, he tells her, take this child of yours and put him in a box. And then take this box and do what with it? throw it into the river she's a mother this is her newborn boy it must have been very difficult for Musa's mother to carry out this action you have to have a lot of faith and dependence in Allah to do something like this to take your newborn child and to put him in a box and throw him in the river and then where and then he is taken the river takes him all the way where all the way to the home of his enemy. Doesn't take him somewhere far. It takes him right to the doorstep of Fir'aun. And Musa is taken right into the home of Fir'aun. And he is raised in the home of Fir'aun. And then God tells her after many years, after a while, in fact before many years, after he was sent to the home of Fir'aun. The tradition, the Quran tells us that when it was time to feed Musa, he would not accept to be fed by anyone. They brought him women to nurse him. He would reject, reject, reject. Until Musa's sister, she comes. And she tells them, I know someone who can nurse him. They say, yes, who? They were desperate at this point. Who? So she took them towards Musa's mother. And Musa was brought towards his mother. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَرَدَدْنَاهُ إِلَىٰ أُمِّهِ كَيْ تَقَرَّ عَيْنُهَا وَلَا تَحْزَن And we brought him back to his mother so that she would feel at ease and she would not worry. فَرَدَدْنَاهُ إِلَىٰ أُمِّهِ كَيْ تَقَرَّ عَيْنُهَا وَلَا تَحْزَن وَلِتَعْلَمَ أَنَّ وَعْدَ اللَّهِ حَقٍّ 
so that she will know for sure that the promise of God is true. When God makes a, a promise, he does not break his promise. God promises us, brothers and sisters. He says, those who have faith, sincere faith, those who depend on me as their Lord, I'll take care of them. وَمَن يَتَّقِ اللَّهَ يَجْعَلْ لَهُ مَخْرَجًا وَيَرْزُقْهُ مِنْ حَيْثُ لَا يَحْتَسِبْ God says the one who is God conscious relies on God in all of his or her affairs. God will find for him or her an exit. Sometimes we face challenges in this life. It seems like there is no absolutely no solution. All doors are blocked, huh? We've all faced situations. You feel that there is no way out. Khalas, it's over, it's done. God says, if you depend on me, I will find an exit for you. I will give you from means that were unimaginable to you. Ways that you did not even imagine were possible. I will open up these doors for you. This is a promise by God. And then he says, The one who depends on God, that's it. God is sufficient for them. God is sufficient. Sometimes in this life, in order to overcome challenges, you need to depend on several people. You depend on your parents. You depend on siblings. You depend on your children, on your spouse, on your lawyer, on the government, right? But sometimes they put all of their energies together and they still can't provide a solution for you. God says, if you depend on me alone, I'll be sufficient for you. You don't need anyone or anything else. But we have to de develop this faith and dependency in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have to nurture it. So God says the second condition of my mercy is what? Is that you express faith and dependence on Allah. Number three, then he says, وَعَمِلَ صَالِحًا In addition to faith, you have to do good. Work righteous deeds. These two concepts are always coupled in the Quran, brothers and sisters. Anytime God talks about developing your iman, it's always coupled with amal salih. Alladheena amanu wa amilu salihat. Always together. Never by themselves. God never talks about faith or belief independent of actions, nor does he talk about actions independent of belief. They always come together. And actions are what give flavor and proof to my claims of faith. How do I prove my claims? Through action. Through doing what I'm supposed to do. Avoiding what I'm supposed to avoid. Actions ought to reflect my faith. It's good to have a map. But in order to get from point A to point B, you have to follow that map actually, right? When you sit in your car, you put in the navigation system. It gives you directions. But in order for you to get to where you want to be, you have to start driving. You don't just sit there and listen to Google, go on and on and on, give you directions. You actually have to follow that path. I read a story once about a young scholar who spent a lot of his youth studying all different types of subjects, studying and learning. And he would travel from place to place so that he can gain information and gain knowledge. He had dedicated his life to the pursuit of knowledge. So he comes across in his travels. One day he comes across a river and he needs to cross this river. That's okay. 
That's okay. He comes across a river and he needs to cross this river. And so he finds a man who is there who has a boat and he wants to rent this boat. So he asks him, he says, listen, let me rent this boat from you. Take me across the river. He says, fine. So he sits in the boat with the man. The man is rowing the boat across the river. So the man asks him, begins a conversation. He tells him, young man, tell me, what do you do? So the man, he got happy. He's asked about what he does. So he began going on and on. I am a student of knowledge. I have read this theory. I have read this book. I have read that book. I have done this research. I have done that research. And he kept going on and on and on about all of the things that he's learned and all of the knowledge that he's gained. At one moment, the man stopped him. He told him, I'm sorry to interrupt, but let me ask you a question. Do you know how to swim? The young man looked at him and said, swim? No, I don't know how to swim. Why? said, you know what, because the boat is sinking. You can have knowledge, you can have a map, but if you don't act upon that map, if you don't engage in activity, then it becomes valueless. My claim of faith is valueless if I don't back it up with action. And this is why I have to dedicate myself not just to developing my faith, but developing it through good actions. When it comes to my prayers, when it comes to my fasting, when it comes to my dua, when it comes to developing my generosity, a lot of believers, the Quran, look, this concept of generosity, being generous of spirit, and giving from what God has given me, is one of the primary values of the Quran. When God talks about belief, God talks about generosity. In many of the verses, those who believe, and they spend from the wealth that God has given them. This is a good thing to work on as part of our good actions, to develop generosity, to give to others when others are in need, to share my wealth with others, not to be stingy, not just to make sure that I rack up the money, I keep saving for myself and my family only, and I don't care about anything or anyone else. Develop generosity. This is a good virtue to develop as part of your faith. When there are worthy projects that I should contribute to these projects. Brothers and sisters, here in this community, you are very blessed. Let me tell you why. I've traveled to many communities around the world. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. And I've seen many organizations, many mosques, many centers and this community is one that I can proudly say is one that is truly blessed. Why? Look around you. Look at those who have come together, joined along with you these nights in order to commemorate Aba Abdullah al Hussein. Look at this community. All of you have experienced from the time that you enter into the gates, you have an army of volunteers. Men, women, young, old, they're directing you every single step of the way. Putting together a program like this is not, no easy task, huh? It's no easy task. There's a lot of logistics. 
There's a lot of time and effort and resources and people who have volunteered their time. They can be doing anything else. They can spend time with their families. They can go work. They can go to the beach. They can go to Niagara Falls. But they've decided to do what? They've decided to spend their time and their energy in order to facilitate these majalis for us. It is our obligation, each and every one of us here today, and those listening online, if you're participating, it is our obligation to contribute to these programs. Tonight is the night of Ashura. Tonight, Lady Fatima al-Zahra, she goes from majlis to majlis. She sees who has gathered in the loving remembrance of her beloved son, Aba Abdullah. She witnesses these majalis. Rasulullah witnesses these majalis. Amir al-Mu'mineen witnesses these majalis. Take this opportunity tonight for your name to be recorded in the book of Fatima al-Zahra alayhi salam that this person participated and this person contributed. It's good for us to be generous brothers and sisters. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promises those who are generous, those who care for others, those who want to promote a better society, God. He promises for them compensation. Don't feel like the money that you give is gone. No, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ret return it and will return it manyfold. It will come back to you several times. We have to work on developing our faith through action. Do good actions. Leave a long and lasting legacy after you. This is number two. Number three, and finally, the last condition that God gives, he says, Number four, the one who remains on the path of truth. Meaning what? Meaning that you don't revert back to your old habits. When I seek forgiveness, when I seek repentance, I do so sincerely, and then I don't go back to those bad habits again. The difference between a true, genuine believer and a pseudo-believer is that the believer learns from his or her lessons. It's not that one makes mistakes and the other doesn't. No, we all make mistakes. We all slip. The difference is that a true believer learns from his or her mistakes. There's a lesson. They make a promise, a vow, not to go back, not to repeat that mistake. It requires a lot of courage. This is the most difficult stage of seeking repentance, of seeking forgiveness. I can admit my faults, I can ask for forgiveness, but to make a vow, a sincere vow to God that I will not do not perform that act again, it's very difficult. But we have to, this is how progress is made. We don't go backwards, we continue forwards in our journey of spiritual elevation. Sometimes this requires us to refocus our energies, to change our environment. Sometimes if I want to live a better life, this means that I change my relationships. There are people who might not be positive for my spiritual development. They cause me to suffer. It's important for me to refocus my energy. Sometimes I have to break certain relationships in order for me to proceed. 
God reminds us of the importance of taking care of our spiritual selves. And so, if we are able to do these things and we sin sincerely seek forgiveness and we have to take advantage of God's mercy. As I mentioned, God's mercy, the doors are open, but we have to take the step. Take advantage of God's mercy and seek forgiveness and repentance every single day, brothers and sisters. Make it a daily habit. The hadith says the one who seeks forgiveness and repentance sincerely God forgives all of their sins and they become like the day that their mother gave birth to them. Like a newborn child, a newborn infant. You've all seen, huh? A newborn infant is fascinating because he or she is completely innocent. They have an absolutely clean record. If we seek forgiveness, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us a fresh start, just like that innocent newborn child. In Karbala, there was an infant along with the camp of Imam Hussein. There was an innocent child. Some traditions say that he was only six months old. Just six months. Six months old. Imam Hussein alayhi salam takes his six-month-old child, Ali al-Azghar or Abdullah, along with him. And just like everyone else in the camp of Imam Hussein, this young infant is also thirsty. Look at how cowardly the army of Yazid was. Look at how indecent they were, that they blocked them from having access to water, to that which ensures our survival. After all of his companions and his family members had been killed, Imam Hussein, he goes towards the women and children of his camp. He's ready to bid them farewell. He's ready to go out onto the battlefield himself. He goes to bid them farewell. Zainab salam, she comes out, she tells him, My dear brother Aba Abdullah, I know that you're ready to go out onto the battlefield. But before you go out onto the battlefield, take your child Ali al-Azghar. He is so thirsty that he is no longer able to breathe and cry. Take him, go out, perhaps these men will give him some water. Imam Hussein alayhi salam carries his son in his arms. Allahu Akbar. He's a father. He looks at the face of his son. His son is suffering in this state. He turns around. He goes out towards the enemies. He pronounces to them. He tells them, oh soldiers, you are here to fight against me. I am your enemy. I am the one who you have a problem with. But what problem do you have with this child? What sin, what crime has this child performed for you to block him from water? If you have any amount of decency, give this child some water. The tradition says that the soldiers of Yazid, 
they turned to one another. Some of them, they were shaken. They said, this is a child. He is thirsty. What is his, what is his crime? He has done nothing wrong. So they began to deliberate between them Umar ibn Sa'd. He saw that his army was going to collapse because of a six-month child. So he turned to Harmala. He told him, Harmala, put an end to this. Harmala took an arrow. He placed it in his bow. He says, I waited for the moment when Aba Abdullah carried his six-month-old up. I waited for that moment. I pointed my arrow towards him. He shot the arrow. It pierced the baby through his neck, killing him instantly. Allahu Akbar. Imam Hussein noticed that his child in his hand, suddenly the blood began to pour down. He brought him close. He placed his hand under his child's neck. He took a handful of blood and then he threw it up to the sky. And he said, my Lord, you see what they have done to us. Sallallahu <laughs> ولا جعله الله آخر العهد مني لزيارتكم Tonight is the night of Ashura altogether السلام على الحسين وعلى علي بن الحسين وعلى أولاد الحسين وعلى أصحاب الحسين جميعا ورحمة الله وبركاته وإلى أرواح المؤمنين والمؤمنات and for the souls of all of the believing مؤمنين and مؤمنات and especially for the souls of the شهداء and especially the شهداء of the tragic bombings in Afghanistan and the شهداء of كربلاء let us recite سورة الفاتحة مع الصلاة على محمد وآل محمد